This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. I am Valeria Telles, and today my conversation is with Dr. Laura Lewis. Dr. Laura Lewis is a psychologist who helps couples to make peace and reestablish trust in conflicted relationships. It is a fact that healthy relationships are important to our health and well-being. Healthy relationships enable us to be who we are. They nurture, they help us grow, and they help us become better people. Relationships can reduce stress and have been linked to overall improved health. Studies have shown that people with healthy social relationships have a 50% greater likelihood of survival. But relationships are challenging sometimes exhausting. People with poor relationships are more likely to suffer from depression and loneliness, which is powerful enough to weaken our immune system. When couples are in constant state of conflict, their blood pressure rises and they suffer emotionally. There is also a link between physical, mental health and sexuality. As our physical and mental health declines, so does our sexual health. The reference for this information was found on the Center for Spirituality and Healing website. In this episode, Dr. Laura Lewis explains what an emotional wall is, how a person develops a codependent bond, how our past traumas affect our relationships, she also gives us a wonderful tree analogy for relationships, among insights and other beneficial suggestions that can help to heal a painful relationship. Dr. Laura Lewis is a psychologist, keynote speaker, and an author. She has over 10 years of experience providing a relationship blueprint for couples looking to heal after infidelity, uh, looking to cultivate better intimacy and enhance communication. Dr. Lewis has conducted hundreds of seminars. She is the CEO of Atlanta Couple Therapy. It provides counseling to couples, transformational retreats, and seminars. 
Here is the interview with Dr. Lewis. Welcome, Dr. Laura Lewis, and thank you so much for having this well-being conversation with me today. In your own words, who is Laura Lewis? I am a psychologist, a couples therapist, an author, a speaker, but I'm also a wife, a wife to my husband for over 16 years. We've been together, and we definitely have seen our ups and downs. And that really impacted me in deciding to become a couples therapist. That is interesting that you said that. Thank you. My first question to you is, uh, what is your personal experience with marital chaos and marital peace? My personal experience with marital chaos is I have definitely been in situations where I was like, I don't know if we can make it. Um, I don't know if we will be able to get through it, like times when it was a real struggle to to stay married and happy in our marriage. Um, but we were able to fight through it. We were able to get support on how to communicate better. And what I see marital peace as being in a place where you look forward to seeing that other person. In your book, Marital Peace, you wrote, for individuals who have had past relationships that caused them intense pain, they tend to naturally want to protect themselves. This can happen by developing an emotional wall. What is the emotional wall? The emotional wall is really when couples get to a point where they're not talking to each other anymore. They're not looking at each other anymore. They just avoid each other. And sometimes that happens where something has been said or done that has been hurtful. And so each person in the couple retreats to their own separate corners. There are methods that you use that they come back together. Could you tell me one of the methods that you use to break that emotional wall? One of the things that I do in my practice at Atlanta Couple Therapy is help couples to really hear the other person. Because sometimes what I see is that couples get to a point where they're not hearing each other, where they're not listening to one another anymore. And this can really cause disconnection. And so I help couples by doing what I call the Imago Dialogue where they have to reflect back what they just heard from their mate. Would you say that this distance that have been created, this, I don't know if the word would be right, resentment, is it connected with um, trust? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. If I feel like I can't trust my mate, or I feel like if I try to reach for my mate, that they won't be available to me. They'll be busy. They'll just say, oh, well, I don't really care about what you're saying or I'm doing something else. Then eventually the the person will start stop reaching for their other partner. They'll stop reaching. And that really leads to a break in trust. Have you seen couples that have been, the trust was broken and and you have helped them to rebuild trust? Have you seen those couples succeed? 
Yes. In fact, I've done just over 200 workshops on helping couples rebuild trust after betrayal. And I also talk about it in the book, Marital Peace, where I really share some of the struggles I faced around trust in my own marriage and how we were able to rebuild. It definitely is possible with support and with someone who can can help you through the stages, because there are stages in the healing process. Yes, it makes sense. So um, when the trust is broken, it's necessary to look for help. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Couples cannot come to the um, the resolution of their problems on their own. In some cases, couples are able to heal by working through it themselves. But if it's a pervasive issue, if it's something like, like what we're talking about with trust, then oftentimes one person gets triggered. And when I say triggered, I mean like they're flooded, they get overwhelmed. In that case, they need someone else to help guide them through how to come back together, how to have those conversations in a healing way. Because they are methods to get to that point right, of healing. I like that. You wrote in your book something interesting that I will paraphrase. A relationship dysfunction can be identified when there is no room for individual thoughts and feelings. This occurs when a person develops a codependent bond. So my question is, what is a codependent bond? And what are some of the ways or other ways we can identify codependency in a relationship? Codependency oftentimes happens where couples can't make decisions without being infused or enmeshed with the other person. And sometimes there's secondary gains from that. And so a secondary gain may be, say, for example, someone is an alcoholic. And their mate is the is in the role of taking care of them when they get sick. And so then for the other person, that codependency creates a feeling of being needed. Right. So the codependent needs to be in that relationship, even though it's a dysfunctional relationship. They cannot see the difference between a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship. Exactly. You got it. You are spot on. They cannot see it. And so that's when having an objective third party there to help them see it, because sometimes these things are unconscious. They're outside of our own awareness. Yes. Wow. Um, Do you know how codependency uh, develops? Codependency oftentimes will develop in a person's childhood. In my experience as a psychologist, the relationships that we establish early in life have a impact, a huge impact on our relationships later in life. And so the relationship that you have with your mother, your father, your grandmother, whoever was the primary caretaker has a direct impact on how you love later in life. So the early stages of development of, of codependency, it's rooted in our um, childhood. It's interesting that a lot of people, they can't see that until like they have a lot of problems right in life. Maybe they went through 
two, three relationships that didn't work. Would you say that that's something that happens a lot, that takes a lot of um, suffering before we realize that we are codependent? I would say definitely that the suffering is an alarm to our system. Whoa, something is wrong. Maybe this is not my first divorce. Maybe this is my second, my third divorce. And the person that the relationship ends is the same person. Every single time I'm dealing with an attraction that I have to someone who is not good for me. And I'm choosing this person over and over and over again. They have a different name. They have a different body. But they present the same issues. You wrote in your book, Marital Peace. Do you ever wonder why the rare view mirror, it's so much smaller than the windshield? It is because where we are going, it's so much more important than where we have been. Have you ever tried to walk forward while looking back? It is very difficult. This is really great. I mean, I was like reflecting on it walk and then, you know, looking back is just not a comfortable thing to do. Um, Would you say, would you agree that paying attention to this present moment, setting goals and working toward those goals, it is a healthy way of letting go of the past? Absolutely. When we look out into our future and we say, okay, this is what I want to accomplish. This is how I want my life to look. This is what I want to manifest in my relationships. This is what I want to be different for the future. It sets our mindset to start to plan to create that. But it is not an easy process, right, Laura? It takes um, time, patience, letting you go of the past, therapy, and everything else. All those things, yes. Um, There's another analogy about relationships. And you mentioned uh, the tree, the roots, and the branches, and leaves. Can you explain that analogy to us? When I think about the people in my life, there are people that are like the root of the tree. And the root of the tree are people that are going to be there to the very end. Those are the people who have staying power, who they are heavily invested in the relationship. When you say something to those people, hey, this thing happened and it it really bothered me, they are invested in the repair. Then there are They're leaf people. Leaf people are those people who they come and go with the wind. They may be there briefly, but as soon as trouble comes, they are out the door. And then there are those branch people who may come into your life for a season. You learn something from them. They learn something from you. And then they're along their way. Yes. Wow. It sounds a lot more spiritual to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's such a great question. Yes, it is. I, th- I think it's crucial that people be aware that everyone that comes into their life is not their purpose is not to be there forever. And sometimes we get into problems when we try to keep least people in our life, when we try to hold on for dear life for people who are not meant to be there. I don't think we can address one um just one area, one part of the human being. It's holistic, right? We are everything, mind, body, soul. We have to address everything in order to heal. You wrote that her people 
hurt people. I would say untreated hurt people. They hurt themselves and also other people. How do we identify that pain as a cause uh, root for our problem? My approach is is psycho-spiritual. So I take into account both mindset, mentality, emotional wellness, along with spirituality. So yes, you are spot on there. There are symptoms. There are symptoms of of every illness, right? It's like if we have a cold, then we cough, right? And that's the symptom to let us know, maybe I should take something for this cough. And and relational symptoms are disconnection. When you see that you're, you're disconnected from the people in your life that matter, or you experience stress and anxiety, heart palpitations, these are all signs to let us know, well, something is wrong. You mentioned disconnection. Can you give me an example of a kind of disconnection? I see all different types of disconnection in my work as a psychologist. I see people where they may be in the house together. They're living parallel lives every day. They come home, they have dinner together, but maybe one person's watching television, the other person's on the computer. That's one type of disconnection where they are physically in the same space, but emotionally, they are worlds apart from each other. And then we also have physical disconnection where, where in, in some cases the, the person leaves, right? So we get into an argument, I'm out, I'm done with this conversation, I'm not talking about this anymore. And then they physically walk out the door. It becomes harder for us to identify that root pain in ourselves that's causing a lot of problems when we keep blaming the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. I see that because a lot of times it's hard for us to look at ourselves objectively, right? It's like a a picture in the frame. Like we can see the picture when we're outside of it, but inside of it, you can't see it. And so it's the same way when it comes to our relationships. Oftentimes, like we can see the other person's flaws, but we can't always see our own. And then sometimes that leads to blaming the other person rather than looking inward at our own contributions. You also um, suggest that your patients do self-evaluation, self-examination. Is that part of your treatment? Yes. Yes. I'm glad that you brought that up. I absolutely encourage my patients to keep journals because sometimes in the moment when one person gets triggered, they enter into fight or flight mode. And when you're in fight or flight mode, you're not really thinking objectively. And so I encourage them to journal some of their thoughts in those moments so that when they come into the office and we sit down and we have the session, we're able to really tap into and explore some of the internal dialogue. Right. You also um, suggest writing about their dreams. Yes, yes. So what I what I usually encourage my patients to do is to, as soon as they wake up in the morning, write down their dreams. So I say, okay, keep a journal right next to the nightstand. So as soon as you wake up, you can write it down. 
if we wait until later to write down the dream, it is not as accurate. Our mind starts to explain things away, but you're going to get the most accurate reflection of the dream right after you wake up, like right there in the moment. And that is uh, to find out the uh, content of the subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. Some of the ways to tap into the unconscious is through psychoanalysts. So if you if you're seeing a therapist and you do what's called free association, which is writing down the first thought that comes to mind before we actually screen out the thoughts and judge the thought, we just free associate and just talk through the first thought. And then, like we talked about earlier, it is your dreams. Dreams have been looked at as the unconscious mind playing itself out. So things that I may not normally think on a conscious level, I see myself acting out in the dream as a way to work out some of the internal conflicts. Let's talk about sexual abuse. You wrote, I find that people often deny sexual abuse if asked. However, if I ask if they ever had sex when they did not want to, a person will say yes to that question. So what is sexual abuse within the context of marriage? Sexual abuse is being pressured, coerced into doing things that you don't want to do. Sometimes that pressure can be a physical pressure, um, in which case we look at that as, as rape. In some cases, that pressure is coercion. And so, but any type of pressure where you're putting, like, where someone, and sometimes this is tied to a person's livelihood, where if you don't do this, then I won't do this. Or if you don't, if we don't have sex, then it's the pulling back of resources. And all of that is a form of manipulation. So manipulation and abuse, they kind of, they go together. Mm-hmm. Those two things. How do we protect ourselves against marital abuse? I think it starts with being aware, being aware of what it is. And so I'm so glad that you asked that question. Well, what is sexual abuse? Because sometimes people are experiencing these things, being forced into doing things, and they don't know, they don't know that it's actual abuse um, or they explain it away for different reasons and so i think it starts with education and then also getting support and access to resources because a person can be aware that they are experiencing abuse but if they don't have the resources to get out of that situation in my experience working in domestic violence shelters a lot of times people stay in the situation with the person But that goes back to what we talked earlier, past childhood um, traumas and problems, because now the person doesn't know how to recognize the difference between a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship. Yeah, I think there there are several different factors. One is that they don't know how to, to recognize, well, this is not good for me. Or two, they feel like I can't get out of it. So if they realize it's not good for me, um, but they can't get out of it, they can remain stuck. So they feel powerless in a way. Exactly. Uh, exactly. 
yeah, that this is very important. That um, do you think it happens more to women than men, or both? Sexual abuse, I would say, yes, happens more for for women. Um, but a lot of times, men also experience abuse, but there is shame that's attached to the physical abuse that that men experience. Wow. You wrote, if you are constantly nagging. Uh, your spouse by focusing on what he or she did wrong, your partner will eventually find ways to avoid you. What is the healthy way to communicate our feelings to our partner without focusing on what he or she did wrong? I think the healthy way is to focus on what you want. Give your mate a recipe for success. So instead of saying, oh my goodness, you're always late. Instead, focus in on what you want. Like I really enjoy when we arrive on time. That helps me feel less stressed when we arrive on time. Right. This is not related to abuse. Would you suggest that um, somebody who is being abused uh, try to communicate with the abuser? know a little bit more details about what's happened to effectively advise a person in that situation. Um, if it's character logical abuse, then in many cases, the person cannot rationally think through it. So if their abuser came to them and said, hey, this is happening, they're not going to be able to first see themselves that was wrong, let alone talk through a solution. And so it, it really just depends. It's kind of nuanced. There, there are lots of factors that, that play a role. Um, is the other person abusive as well? Because sometimes, we'll, I, in my experience as a couples therapist, I'll see that they're violent towards each other. Um, and so that's going to also play a factor. Right, right. Makes sense. Talk to me a bit about define the commitment. This is a passage in your book, uh, Marital Peace. In some cases, couples are in a relationship and it's not clear what's happening. It's not clear where the relationship is going. One person may want the relationship to be more casual, or in some cases I see openness around the boundaries of the relationship. And so, I think it's really important for couples to communicate clearly with each other about what's happening, what they want, what's, what is the commitment level in the relationship? Are we monogamous? Those types of questions. Oh, wow. Basic questions in a way. Oh, you also mentioned make sure that there is self-love, good degree, a healthy degree of self-esteem, understanding our spirituality. So the understanding of spirituality, do we have to be religious? No, I don't think so. I see couples in varying views about religiosity. In some cases, a couple may have the same religion, but different views on the practice of what that looks like. One may be more devout, one may be um, not as devout. And so it just and then in some cases, one person is religious and the other person isn't. And I've seen relationships work in either case. Um, but spirituality, what I think about when I think of spirituality is I think of how do we make meaning in life, our sense of value. How are you spiritual? Are you religious? I am. 
I, I am both. So when I think about spirituality for me, it includes things like listening to music, listening to music that resonates within my soul, music that uplifts me spiritually. When I think about um, the fact, the practice of my faith, it includes like prayer, talking to God. It also includes things for me like fellowship with other people. Because it may be times when I'm feeling down and I talk to someone else that shares my same spiritual mindedness and then I feel uplifted from that conversation. So sometimes it is really about um, connecting with God on a higher level. Yeah. When you say higher level means becoming a better person, just having that um, understanding that working on yourself connects you to God. That's the way I understand. It's kind of hard for me to imagine God out there, separate from me and the other. That would help me in my relationship, having this kind of connection in my own way with God. Definitely. I mean, because the reason why I say that is that when you know how to cope effectively, and in a lot of cases we see from the research that um, people who have a strong spiritual foundation, they're able to be resilient through difficult times. And so when you have those practices of coping skills, right, then when stress happens in your relationship, you have a sense of faith of things are going to get better. I know that things are going to improve. Yes. Which is not such a great thing when we keep accepting they have this mantra, right, in their minds, oh, optimism, oh, we'll get better, tomorrow will be better, and then it never does, and then they're just suffering. How do we know that we are being um, optimistic or too optimistic or any spiritual? Well, for me, I would say if there's any situation where you are at risk, that trumps everything. So your well-being is at risk. Your internal resources is at risk. Your health is at risk. Your just you physically is at risk. You need to get out, I would say. If there's any type of, of abuse, if it's physical abuse, I would say that you need to get into a situation where you will be safe. And so whether that means going to a shelter, connecting with a family member, I would say definitely your safety is number one. Yes, it's it's clear to identify physical abuse, but um, when it's mental abuse, manipulate, psychological manipulation, that is harder. In your um, experience as a psychologist um, helping couples, do you deal more with physical or mental abuse between them? Um, I see them both, but I definitely believe that that psychological abuse can be just as harming because a lot of times psychological abuse looks like someone disregarding what you say, someone talking over you, someone being dismissive, gaslighting, like making you question your own sense of reality. Right. That is as bad or even worse in a way, right, Laura? Because physical abuse is kind of easier. Like I said, it happens once and then you realize there's something really wrong here and you just leave. But then um, 
when it's psychological manipulation, it's really hard because now you, you become confused and you don't know what's real and what's not real. As of today, what are three things about life you know for sure? Three things about life that I know for sure is that things will improve. Setting your setting your mind on what you want to create helps you to create a whole new reality. So each day waking up with the mindset of today is going to be a good day. Setting your intentions. You can have a whole new life a year from now, a week from now. Changing the mindset changes everything. So changing the mindset. The second thing that I know for sure is love is the greatest weapon. I mean, the ability to love heals so many wounds. When I when I see people holding on to long periods of resentment and the unforgiveness that, that happens in their life, like I, I just see the ripple effects of that. And so when we center ourselves in love, love of ourselves love of what can be right love love of the people in our life like that that's so transformative yes um what would you say the difference is between love and compassion love and compassion hmm, that's a good question the difference between love and compassion when I think about compassion, some of the things that, that come to mind is wanting the best for people, wanting the best for other people in in my life, whether we are in relationship or not, right? When I think about love, I think about um, the behaviors of love. I think about um, the actions that, that show up in love. I think sometimes we look at love as just this mythological thing, right? Like this thing we can't feel, touch, smell, but there are actions that show up when someone really loves you. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, would you say that compassion and unconditional love are similar? Unconditional love? Um, to me, when I think about unconditional love, I think about parental relationships. So the relationship that the mother has with her child, father has with his child, loving without conditions. I don't know that unconditional love exists in romantic relationships. There, there oftentimes is a limit. If you do certain things, then the, the love, there are conditions, I think, in most cases associated with romantic love. Right. You believe that's not possible? to have a romantic relationship that is based on unconditional love? I would say yes, in the romantic sense, yes. Love is a choice that we decide. Right. And the third thing you know for sure about life? The third thing that I know for sure is we have to be true to ourselves, to thine own self be true. We have to be true to ourselves, true to our wishes, true to our non-negotiables. We have to be true to ourselves. Without being selfish, right? I, I don't, I mean, sometimes I think it's important to be selfish. In, in some cases, you have to be selfish. I mean, what some people may consider 
selfish, right? I think in some cases, you have to put yourself at a priority. And in a lot of cases, I think that people don't. And in some cases, as a result of not being mindful of what you need, what is crucial to your being, you sacrifice yourself, you sacrifice yourself in situations where you never should. And so in some cases, selfishness is not a bad thing. I kind of separate them, but I would prefer to say self-love, maybe um, self-knowledge, self-love, because selfishness, it could sort of become something like, you know, I do things that's good for me, regardless if it's bad for the other. You know, I'm affecting somebody else in a negative way and I sort of don't care. That's my definition of selfishness. What is self-love to you? Self-love to me is I'm not going to put myself in a situation that is harmful for me. I'm going to stand up for myself. If something is happening that doesn't feel good to me, I'm going to remove myself from those situations. Sometimes people may look at themselves and say, yes, of course I love myself. I love myself but then put themselves in situations where they compromise their being. So I see almost as um, wisdom, like um, to know yourself, your basic needs, and having the courage to, uh, to do what you have to do. Yes, absolutely. Courage is, courage is so crucial. In so many areas of our life, we need courage. We need courage to be able to stand up. We need courage to be able to walk away at times. We need courage to be able to love. Sometimes people have experienced pain and they say, oh, no, I'll never be in another relationship again. I think courage is is so crucial. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, And that's another thing that's not easy to do because it's easier not to have courage, right? Stay where we are. Just flow with whatever life gives us. Yeah. For a lot of us, a lot of people are just floating through life of, okay, this happened and just going along with no sense of intentionality, no sense of this is what I want for my life. Right. Right. Um, Would you say that women tend to have less courage than men? Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Time that. has changed, right? We are different. We are <laughs> gaining more courage. We show our courage in different ways. Yeah, that's great. Right, the courage to love. I think women, they love deeper. Mm-hmm. It has been a really great conversation with you, Laura. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Where can we find more about you and your work, products, your services, your projects? Sure. So we talked a lot about my book, Marital Peace. It's available on Amazon. Also, if you want to connect with me, if anything that I've said has resonated with you, then you can schedule an appointment for therapy by by going to atlantacoupletherapy.com. And my phone number for the business is 404-496-8070. Wonderful. Thank you so much. My pleasure.
Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Laura Lewis, please visit her website, atlantacouplethérapie.com. To learn about future conversations, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. With gratitude and appreciation, I thank the Patreon members who support this podcast, Lawrence McGrath and Mark Basden. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.